0: Welcome to Everyday Motherhood, the podcast that inspires you to pause, connect, and play more every single day. The podcast that's focused on you, the mom, to help you fill up your cup and rediscover the joy and love in your everyday life. We can't parent alone, and parenting is too serious to be serious all the time. Thanks for being here. My name is Christy Thomas. I am the founder and developer of playforlifemoms.com. Let's jump in. Today's guest has influenced me for years because of all the YouTube and TED Talks that he's done. I highly recommend that you go check out his talks and his book, Free to Learn, after today's podcast interview. I'm excited to present to you Peter Gray hi Peter hi <laughs> how are nice you today
1: you. I'm very good
0: excellent it's very nice to meet you I've been a very big fan of yours for a very long time
1: it's nice to meet you where where are you calling from where where do you live
0: I live um on the edge of Georgia and Florida
1: uh-huh okay. my husband
0: is in the Navy so we move wherever you know the Navy oh, I see. Us
1: great (laughs) so yeah
0: so right now they have us in georgia because he's a submarine guy and there's a submarine base here
1: Ah, oh wow
0: yeah Ah. and you're up in massachusetts right yes how is your weather up there are you handling this social distancing
1: yeah well it's uh you know it's pretty easy for (laughs) me because i'm i'm retired from teaching and wouldn't be teaching anyway so and um Some of my trips have been canceled, which Mm -hmm. I'm glad of, so (laughs) I'm just enjoying uh, the time at home and time to write uh, and uh, catch up on various other things, so it's working out well, and this this is a nice time of year. Here in Massachusetts, we can have any kind of weather. We had... Uh, yesterday, we had snow in the morning, and today it reached um, 55 degrees, and uh, tomorrow it's likely to reach 70, and <laughs> yep. so it's, uh <laughs>
0: yeah, we have spent time in Groton, Connecticut in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and so, yeah, I have done those okay. New England springs, right. they're, they're just a roller coaster of weather.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, where today, you know, it got up to 80 degrees here. And um,
1: <laughs>
0: our, our, our social distancing is a little bit different because we have so much freedom to go outside and really just yeah. up all the vitamin D. So. Yeah. Well, excellent. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you, especially now with all these kids home from school. And um, from the talking, I've talked with parents that half of them have like set plans on Google Classroom and the other half of them the school districts just said, homeschool, <laughs> go homeschool. And so this is a really good time to have your wisdom out there as parents <laughs> are feeling all this trauma and anxiety about the coronavirus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, we should worry about the coronavirus, but you know, there's, if we take the precautions, uh, that's all we can do. Um, And I think um, it would be wonderful if parents could treasure this opportunity for their children to be home and for the disruption, a change in the regular routines of school and after school uh, events, classes and and, uh, sporting events. You know, we know one thing we know, which I've written a lot about, um, based mostly on other people's research, is that children... um, School-age children are suffering these days from over-scheduled lives. They're between school and homework and um, adult-directed things after school. They have very little free time to explore their own interests, to mm-hmm. be creative, to uh, figure things out on their own, and. One of the consequences of this, which uh, which I've written a great deal about and which I'm absolutely convinced there's a cause-effect relationship here, one of the consequences is that children are not developing the kind of What's, what psychologists call internal locus of control, the sense of okay. I I run my life. Mm-hmm. I I can solve my own problems. I can figure things out. I can yeah. I'm not I'm not totally dependent on Uh, uh, on outside authorities Mm -hmm. to tell me what to do. We have a generation of children growing up now who have had very little opportunity to uh, create their own play and their own activities Mm -hmm. to uh, solve their own problems. And we're seeing some of the consequences of that now. There are record levels of anxiety and depression, um, even among college-age students who grew up this way, who... Feeling overwhelmed by the challenges of uh, of uh, what most of us in the past would have thought of as the bumps in the road of life, right. <laughs> and uh, and without, well, you know, we we think we're doing our children a great favor by sort of protecting them from mm-hmm. uh, all the problems that come when children are just going out and playing with other children mm-hmm. away from adults and by sending them to school and making sure they take all these extra classes and extracurricular yep. activities and do just the right volunteer activities yeah, and so well, on. We're
0: building or, a resume from like, yeah.
1: So <laughs> That's right. So as I've often said, we've turned childhood into a period of resume building and it's not good for children. So here's, here's it's an opportunity to take a break from that. See what it's, see what it's like to give your child uh, a little freedom, a little new responsibility. Let your child take on some new challenges. And and please, I would say to parents, don't worry about your child falling behind in school or just don't worry about that. I'm so glad <laughs> no. you said that.
0: I have said it, but maybe hearing it from, from and we can explain your background because I haven't explained that. We just jumped into conversation. Um, Peter, you should trust Peter when he says this. Can you tell us a little bit about your background?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, um, so I'm a research psychologist, um, and I have for many years been conducting research on child development and the role of children's play in their development, the role of children's, uh, uh, you know, how children learn when they are free to follow their own interests you know children come into the world biologically designed to educate themselves their curiosity their playfulness their sociability you know yeah, it's think so of all the it is absolutely amazing. You know, think of all they learn before they ever start school. Before anybody, of course, now they're starting school younger and younger. I used to say before right, the age you of think five.
0: How much you learned, right? Because I was probably a kid that, yeah, had less you interaction. Know, for,
1: you know, throughout, throughout, you know, certainly in my childhood, my own son's childhood a huge amount of what a person learns, they learn before they, anybody ever starts systematically teaching them mm-hmm. anything. They learn their whole native language from scratch. They learn, yeah. they learn an enormous amount about the world around them. They're constantly exploring. So, unfortunately, when children start school and they're being told all the time what to do and their own curiosity is a disruption in the classroom yep. and they're play if it exists at all is called recess right a oh, break yep. from rather than thinking of it as really the vehicle of the primary vehicle of learning for children so so we more or less quash these instinctive ways of playing and uh, instinctive ways of that of children learn so that's uh, so this is a little bit of an opportunity to bring some of that back <laughs> to your yeah. own. So why I say don't worry about the children falling behind in school is I study children who are involved in um, what we call self-directed education, Um, meaning that they're not in uh, curriculum-based schooling either at a school or at home. They're not Mm -hmm. doing school at home. They are in a situation where they are basically directing their own children just like children always used to before they ever started school
0: (laughs) Right. yeah i've been rereading your book free to free to learn right now before i could talk to you i'm re-highlighting it and i'm getting such a different perspective than i did seven years ago when i read it um the first time i think it was seven years ago when it was brand new
1: Amazing to think it's been out for seven years. Yes. That's true. <laughs> yes.
0: So the uh, so the so I've so I've studied
1: children who are doing what's called uns- many of them are doing what's called unschooling, mm-hmm. which is homeschooling, but the parents don't give them assignments or test them. Mm-hmm. They rather allow the children to pursue their own interests, and they help the children find pursue their mm-hmm. interests. But in response to the children's desire, they're not saying you know, you have to do this, or you have to do that, mm-hmm. or they're not, they, they're not concerned. They might be concerned, but they learn, they learn to override yeah. their concern if yeah. the child hasn't learned to read by a certain age. Yep. They, whenever the child expresses an interest in reading and starts reading, that's when the child starts reading, and it's at various ages. So, the, the result of all of this is that I've found that um, children, I've studied uh, young adults who grew up this way. Uh, either through unschooling or uh, attending a school that's designed for self-directed mm-hmm. education. Where there are other children and there are adults, but the adults don't tell them what to learn, they don't test them, and so on. And what I find is the adults are doing very well in life. They are um, they're very often in careers that they love because they mm-hmm. had op- ample opportunity to play and explore and discover Who they are and what they love to do and to develop skills in what they love to do and then go on and figure out a way to make a living at that. So, But the lesson from this that I think is uh, useful to parents who have children at regular school and who are taking some time off is that. Some of these children who who are uh, not going to school decide at some point, for one reason or another, they want to go to public school. They just mm-hmm. to, they've just want they decided they want to try it out. They want to go to school. So here, you know, they've missed the whole thing. It's not that they've just missed a few months. They've missed all of it, right? right. Absolutely. <laughs> and now, and now they've decided, so, you know, I'm 12 years old, and I would normally be in, I don't know if it's 6th grade or 7th grade. Yeah, it depends on which
0: state you live in, honestly. Because, yeah. Yeah. So
1: let's say it's 7th grade. So I'm 12 years old. I go to school in 7th grade. Never been to school before. And lo and behold, this has been done many times now and they do it. They just do it. <laughs> <laughs> they find they find they're really not that much behind in anything. In fact, they're ahead in a lot of ways. They they're more re- responsible. They know how to take responsibility for themselves. And if they are a little bit behind or something, like if there's terms maybe in the biology class that they haven't heard before, well, you know,
0: you look it up. <laughs> you yeah, know, you, they know how to research at this they point. Know how to They've research. been so they, curious.
1: They know how to catch up. So, even if you've missed the whole thing, you're not particularly behind. And the same kid, you know, kids who've never been to school then go to college
0: right. fit
1: right in. They, and they do very well in college. So, we have this We have this mistaken conception that learning is this linear thing. You have Mm -hmm. to learn A before you learn B, before you learn C. It's a slow and progressive process. And if you fall out of step on that at some point, then, oh my goodness, you'll be forever behind. And it's simply not true. It's simply not the case. And um, the kids who miss a few months of school, even if they're not doing any of the stuff that the school is telling them to do at home, are gonna be just fine. <laughs> now if the school is penalizing you in some way for not doing, mm-hmm. say let's say they're giving you assignments to do online and turn in every day. All right, I guess you better do them. <laughs>
0: right. You, uh, or you're part p- of the system, so you have to figure they'll out
1: punish, they'll punish you in some yeah. way if you don't, so do it. But the fact of the matter is that you can do the the amount of schoolwork that typically kids do during a six-hour school day. You can probably do in an hour and a half or two hours, you know, if you're just doing it in a focused way at home. And then you've still got lots and lots of time for other things.
0: Yeah, that's what I find in my own homeschool with my own kids. We do not need a giant block of time.
1: Right. So, you know, so even parents who don't think, consider themselves as, as unschoolers, you know, and families, they mm-hmm. find that uh, it doesn't ta- you know, you don't schedule out uh, five or six blocks of courses and you spend an hour on each. Yeah. <laughs> Not at <laughs> Nobody all. does that. So, some might start doing that, but they but they. The kids very quickly tired of, and the and the parents quickly tired of. It. You it's You can't
0: do it. It's very exhausting. Yeah.
1: You just you just can't do it, and then you notice why your kid is interested in this and that, and you raise the question, well why is it better for the child to study this thing that the curriculum says the child should study instead of the thing that my child is actually doing and Mm absorbing, getting really involved in and learning so much in, and then you gradually become an unschooler.
0: (laughs) So I totally, um, I think that's true for me. I have a middle school science background that I've been trained teacher in education, taught in public school, had my own kids, and then I've homeschooled now for nine years. My oldest is in eighth grade, I guess, according to Mm -hmm. our paperwork. So we've eased into this where I never would have thought we would have started this at the beginning. I wouldn't have felt comfortable or safe.
1: Right, exactly. Very few people start off with the idea that we're going to unschool. They start off with the... most most In most cases, they start off with public school, and that doesn't work out very mm-hmm. well. Then they try homeschooling, and that doesn't work out very well. And then they finally loosen up <laughs> and let the child learn in his or her own natural way, and that works.
0: <laughs> so if parents have their kids home and they have all this extra time, why should they value free play? Why is play the way that a child or anyone really learns. Can you tell us about the mystery of play?
1: Yeah. Well, f- well maybe first I should tell you what uh what play is, yes. how I define and play. So how do I identify? So if I say if when we say value play, what is it that we value? Right.
0: <laughs> so no, fir- it's the- really
1: The first characteristic of play is that it is self-chosen and self-directed. So, play is how children learn to take initiative. It's how they learn to create their own activities. It's how they learn to take charge of their own activities. It's how they learn to solve their own problems. If there's an adult there saying, now you know, children, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> Even if the adult thinks it's play, uh, it's not really play. It's not fully play. Now, that's not necessary to say that's always a bad thing, but right. that's not what I call play. As long as everybody's enjoying it, it's fine. And it may be playful and have characteristics of play. But in what I call full play, children are taking the initiative. They're designing the activity themselves. They're, so, so right off that means that play is... Always creative. They're creating the activity. They are learning to be creative there. So that's one characteristic. A second characteristic of play is that it's intrinsically motivated. What that means is you're doing it because you want to do it.
0: Ooh, really
1: <laughs> not because important. you're getting not because you're getting some extrinsic reward for it right not because you're getting an A or you're getting praise from your parents or you're getting a trophy or you're getting money or you're padding your resume for mm-hmm. college <laughs> you're doing it just because you want to do it now that's the aspect of play that leads many people to think it's a waste of time well why would you, what are children getting out of it if they're doing it just because they want to do it well, one of the things they're getting out of it, besides learning how to be creative and direct mm-hmm. their own activities, is they're learning what they love to do <laughs> by playing at different things, trying out different yeah. things. They're discovering what they like to do. You, you know how how commencement speakers are often saying to the new graduates, "Follow your, you know what's in some sense what's the point of life if you are depriving yourself of doing what you love to do, <laughs>
0: right? I mean, it should yeah. if you're, shouldn't you're not going to enjoy it."
1: Shouldn't a good part of the point of life be to enjoy life, and uh, and so play is uh, is engaging in in enjoyable activities, activities that you enjoy. It's no surprise that we have record levels of depression among school age children today who are attending school. Enormous levels of depression and terribly sadly, record record levels even of suicide among among school aged children. There's the rate of suicide among school aged children is now six times what it was in, in, in four or five decades ago or six decades ago. It's to so make um, as a parent. And, right now. and um and it, and I really think a big part of the reason is the deprivation of play. There's a you know if you think of it Life without play is pretty depressing. Life, life where you're constantly being judged and evaluated, mm-hmm. and you're being threatened with the idea that you might fail if you yeah. don't do things just the way somebody is telling you you have to do it. Um, that's pretty anxiety-provoking and pretty stressful. And um, so, play is how children, um, how children uh, recover from that. Play is how children find joy in life, and play uh, how they find meaning in life. There are other characteristics of play that I could describe, but I don't want to go on with this forever. But play, as I said, is is a creative activity. Play always. The other thing I might say about play is that, you know, some people talk about unstructured play. Yes. And what I would say is there's no such thing as unstructured play. Play is always structured, and it's always structured by the players themselves.
0: Gotcha. That makes (laughs) sense. It's
1: how children learn to how children learn to structure an activity. A play is never random. You're not. You're not just randomly piling up blocks. If you're playing with blocks, you're building something with blocks. You're not. You're not engaged in random behavior when you're playing with other children. You're following some set of rules, implicit or explicit, about how you're playing. If you're, playing, if you're a little kid playing, playing superheroes, yeah. the rule is you have to act in character. You have to act like a superhero. Right. Yeah, that's to,
0: why adults find it hard to play with kids sometimes because we don't want to make the pretend voices anymore.
1: That's right. Adults are not the best, generally speaking, adults are not the best playmates for children because, um, first of all, children have a different sense of humor. They have Mm -hmm. a greater tolerance for repetition. (laughs) They have more energy. (laughs) I think... I, I can say a little bit about adults playing with children, because I think, in a way, this is a time when families are home, yep. and there may be less opportunity for children to get out with other children Absolutely in some in right some now. neighborhoods, that this maybe is a time for family togetherness and play, but I think that it's very important to choose ways of playing that are going to be enjoyable for if the parent is feeling like she's making a sacrifice by mm-hmm. play, playing with the child doing that you're in, in some sense teaching your child to be a little d- by letting yeah. the child tell you is able to about something that you would both enjoy playing
0: <laughs> absolutely
1: otherwise it's not really play
0: yeah so when parents have their kids home and they're doing the free play I've heard you talk online before about technology is an okay use of kids playing Then, not like demonize technology for kids play
1: do you still feel this yeah same? Ab- oh yes absolutely you know the more research is done the more we see the value of uh, online play especially in this world where children are so deprived of opportunities to play physically together mm-hmm. um, I-, I don't think online Play totally takes the place of getting outdoors, playing physically. Okay. Together, I think that together Mm -hmm. from adults where they can really play to the degree that we should. The degree Mm -hmm. that children thing is to get together online. They're really playing. They're they're all you know online play where kids are playing with especially when they're playing socially with one another online. Mm -hmm. It's real play. It has all the characteristics of play, and. What's saying for anybody who's tried these video games that the kids are playing? They're really complicated.
0: They <laughs> are. They are really. They're complicated. really d-
1: difficult. they're they're beyond my level to <laughs> engage in. I tried. I've tried a little bit, but you've got you've got to work your way up. There, there's a, you know, there's a. Let me let me just give a little a little bit of the uh, data. The data. I think we we of playing video games, the negative consequences <laughs> of screen time in general. But let me focus for a moment on video game games. So we, so we hear that hear that um, uh, you know some of at one point when I first started researching into this, I sort of Googled harmful effects of video games, and I came up with this this big long list, you know uh, that. Yeah. Uh, violent video games cause violence in children. Uh, video games. Because it's the cause of be- of obesity. It's socially isolating. It 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 uh, 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 the, <laughs> the mind, the mind so repetitive. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it it causes ADHD. Every 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 child childhood childhood malady is by video gameplay. Yep. So that so that uh, so then I begin studies that show these things. All oh, the other thing, of course, is that it's a. Dip- addictive oh, and right. the question is well what do we mean by addictive is it you know is it is it like heroin and we even there even scare headlines there was a headline in, was. in a major newspaper know right. that um digital heroin it's yes co- <laughs> the you know it's let your let your kid play Fortnite, and it's a like it's like giving them heroin right It's yeah. so it's a really hard here, time so no, to be a wonder, <laughs> No wonder parents get scared by all this when they hear all this. So I, so I'm, you know, I'm a researcher. I, I don't do my own research on video play, but I, I, I read the research literature, mm-hmm. and so I decide. I deliberately look at what's all the research lit. Number one, there's no evidence, no evidence whatsoever that playing violent video games causes real-world violence. None. And the best study done uh, was a study, a long-term study done with a large number of boys and young men in an area where there actually is a lot of real-world violence. And they looked, e- and they and they looked at how much time these these uh, young males were spending playing uh, violent video games. And they al- also used court records to look at real-world violence. What They found was no correlation whatsoever between whether they're playing violent video games and real world violence. Strong correlation, of course, between whether there was violence in their home and their being real world violence. If their dad was beating their mom or beating them, they were likely to be violent in the real world. And that but makes total sense. if they were if, if they were playing gruesome, horrid video games, <laughs> that did not cause real-world violence. I, the way I think of it is it's not much different. When I was a kid, you know, we played cops and robbers with cab mm-hmm. guns. I, I killed many cops as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. The boys, for some reason, like to play it this way. And totally. they Mike, know it's play. They yeah, know Mike it's seven-year-old
0: play. seven-year-old wants to be the bad guy <laughs> all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, the, yeah, it's fun to be the bad guy, right? You know, it's, it's, um, but it doesn't cause you to be the bad guy in real life. Uh, there's just no evidence for it. The, the, the studies that purport to show evidence for it, they're not looking at real-world violence. They're looking at sort of laboratory simulations of violence. So, you know, a typical study would go like this. You have you bring one group of kids into the into the laboratory and and they're asked to those in the in the experimental group are asked to play a particular violent video game and then they're tested supposedly on violence, right? So the test might be something like this. You can put hot sauce on some pizza that we're going to give to somebody in the other room. And those who've just played the violent video game make that hot sauce a little hotter (laughs) than those (laughs) who did something else. Gotcha. Well, you know, what is the kid thinking? No, this is still play. This is still, I've just played this violent video game. What does the researcher want me to do? He probably Uh wants... That's really hot. As I just played this violent video game. <laughs> there, you know, there, there, that's a typical kind of experiment. That's the way this research is done. So there, there are there are dozens of such experiments. So people could say, well, there's dozens of experiments, experiments showing that violent video games create violence. Are they real? There's no studies, and I challenge anybody to show me a study if they find it, because I really do want do want to know the, the truth on truth on this. I've been. Uh, been unable to find. Stuff. You know, every time there's been a school shooting in the past, mm-hmm. people have looked into the question. Well, did this did this young man or this boy play play violent video games? And once, or, once, or, once or in a while, mm-hmm. there's a court. Quar- you know, that person had been playing violent video games. What we forget is that most boys play them, right? So, <laughs> right. The, the question is, if you look at all the school shooters, have more has have a higher proportion of them played violent video games? than our kids in the same age group, in the same gender, <laughs> right. who have not been school shooters. And it turns out that somebody actually did this, and school school shooters are statistically significantly less likely to have played violent video wow. games <laughs> than, really our, than our kids than our boys and, and young men in general. I think it's because the kind of person who becomes a school shooter is less likely to play anything. I right. think that one the play of the deprivation things we know, is there's,
0: really a play real. Deprivation. there's a play
1: deprivation, There's there is some research suggesting, if you look at psychopaths, uh, people who are, who are criminal psychopaths, mm-hmm. they um, have very, they, and you look at their childhood into their childhood they did not play as children and whether who knows what's cause and effect did they not play because they were psychopaths or did they become psychopaths in part because they did not play i think it's probably circular i think both Mm -hmm. of those you know they they feed on one another so at any rate, I won't go on and on. But the, but for parents who are worried about their children's intellectual development, right, video games may be the best thing they could possibly be doing. That and and don't believe me. I do look at my. I've 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 written a couple of blog posts on cognitive benefits yeah. of video. But don't believe what I say. Look at the references that I cite. These are researchers. There have been many many studies done. The first observation was that kids who play video game. a lot of video games have higher IQ scores than kids, on average, than kids who don't. Huh. And so that's a correlation, and that doesn't necessarily prove right. they have higher IQ scores because they play video games. Maybe they play video games because they have higher IQ scores. Right. Maybe you know, the video games are cognitively difficult. Right. Maybe it's you know, a stimulus too, that fills Maybe the they're need. too challenging yeah. for people who have a lower right. I, mm-hmm. IQ score. But so people have done experiments Mostly with college women because college students are convenient subjects for the researchers <laughs> yes, for our college, <laughs> case. and it's fi- hard to find college men who don't already play video games. Okay. So, yep. but at least until very recently, it was possible to find college women who don't play video games. So you <laughs> find a bunch of college women who don't play video games, you test them on certain cognitive measures, the very kind of measures that go into IQ tests, ability to hold a lot of information in your mind Mm -hmm. at once, ability to make quick but accurate judgments, ability to see the spatial arrangements of things, you know, those tests where there are shapes and you have to tell, rotate shapes and so on. Test them on those kinds of things and have one group play a video game, uh, and, and of course it depends somewhat, the different for different kinds of tasks, it might be different video mm-hmm. games, play a video game, certain number of hours a week for maybe five or six weeks, test them again, and lo and behold, they now perform much better on that cognitive test than they wow. did before. Whereas those college women who've done some control thing, not a video game, uh, but something that... W- would be, uh, you know, e- equally involving of their time and mm-hmm. require the same kind of um, uh, attention to to the task, mm-hmm. um, they don't improve. So, and moreover, the improvement lasts. So, even when they stop playing video games and they're tested months later, they're still better than they were before. This has been shown in many, many studies. Um, so, we, we really don't have to worry that children's minds are rotting <laughs> because they're playing <laughs> Video games.
0: This is going to be so reassuring. So you can (laughs) relax while your public schools are shut down, or if you're a homeschooler feeling like you need to ease into homeschooling, and lean into video games and lean into other ways your kids are curious about and help support them.
1: You know, one thing that might be fun for, you know, in cases where parents and children are sort of stuck home together, Mm -hmm. think of this as an opportunity. I, you know, I just wrote a blog post on this, which I'm going to post in a, probably tomorrow morning on my Psychology Today blog. But I've, I've made some suggestions about how parents might, in some ways. Um, help their child, uh, if their child hasn't had a lot of opportunity to take initiative mm-hmm. and do things, how, how parents might help. But one of the things I suggested is maybe this is an opportunity for mutual play, mm-hmm. where it wouldn't be interesting if... If you made an agreement with your child, assuming the child was willing to do this, that you would teach your child some game that you used to like as a kid, some old-fashioned game, you know that for, for me it would be really old-fashioned. <laughs> for you, it would be less old-fashioned. But some game <laughs> that you that you used to play as a kid, and and say that take the challenge of convincing your kid this is not boring, this is fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then in turn that your child would teach you to play a video game that your child teaches that you know nothing about. And the, his task would be to convince you that this game is not evil. Yes. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> This is a great <laughs> challenge to uh, take and, right now. And, and I think you would both
1: end up with a better appreciation of one another as a result of yeah. that. It, you know, it may or may not work, and both the mom and the child have to be willing and motivated to do this for it to work. If yeah. either one is the reluctant partner, it would not work. Right. But but that would be fun. The other the other things I think I, I think this is an opportunity. As much as I of, most often talk about the importance of children getting away from parents and right. playing with other children. But this is a this could be a, a kind of real bonding opportunity mm-hmm. for parents and children. Parents could tell stories about their childhood or the family <laughs> history yeah. Children really love to hear those things, and then they pass them on to their children when they when they're adult. and And we don't often have opportunities to do those kinds of things. We're more because we're always running around. Our kids yeah. are always we're always starting our kids off to activities. We don't have much opportunity just sit down and tell stories and 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 those kinds of things. So I think. That's an opportunity. But then there's a couple of other things that I would like to suggest. Um, so, Lenore Scanese, who wrote the book Free Range Kids mm-hmm. and who is the president of the foundation Let Grow, and I'm also a board member of that, she and I, uh, through Let Grow, have been working through schools uh, on helping parents and kids um uh, uh, help, help, helping families allow their kids to take risks and yep. do do things that the child wants to do but the parent has been reluctant to allow the child to do and amazingly some of these things you'd be you'd be surprised some of these things that children really want to do involve helping out at home
0: it, yeah, <laughs> they, want nice yeah. <laughs> they want night skills yeah
1: there are there are kids who want to be able to cook a whole Mm -hmm. meal for their family all by themselves. That would be a big adventure for them. That would be a step in growing up. That would be, and parents who aren't allowing them to do that. Can you believe that? (laughs) that, (laughs) Well,
0: Well, life feels too rushed. They don't have time.
1: (laughs) They don't have time. They think it might be dangerous. The child might cut himself with a knife or burn himself on the stove or God forbid not light the gas stove and everybody'll die in the house. <laughs> so and also the child even if the child does it it's not likely to be the greatest dinner it's not right. going to be a greatest dinner. So the way I would put it is look here's an opportunity for for the mom to learn and for the child yep. to learn. The mom can learn to relax, be yep. less of a perfectionist. All right, make sure the gas isn't running without being lit. Yep. <laughs> So if your kid has never used a sharp knife before, give a little instruction absolutely. in it. <laughs> yeah. But then let the kid make the dinner yeah. and and offer help only when the child asks. Don't stand there micromanaging the child. That's absolutely no fun. The child is micromanaged all the time. That's yeah. not cooking on your own. Let the child do it. Let the child read the recipe or Google the yeah. recipe and think what he or she wants to make. If the child needs some help, Say, okay, you know, you can ask me, but only give the help the child asks for, no more. That, the mistake that parents too often make is the child asks for some help, and then the parent just takes over the thing, and it's no longer the child's thing anymore. Yeah. So they just give the help that the child asks. This would be, this would be a great adventure. The worst thing that can happen... Really, is that the, is that is it'll be a bad meal, yeah. And uh, the child will have failed failed in making a great okay. meal, and that in itself is a great lesson because it shows that you know a, a big lesson children have to learn is don't be afraid of failure.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> no,
1: this no is the major perfect consequences. Moment.
0: Yeah,
1: and. Now, you know, try it next time. And uh, people, the the biggest, you know, the the biggest teacher is failure. We learn from our mistakes. And so let the child make mistakes. Let the child learn from mistakes. Don't criticize the child for mistakes. The child will already feel a little bad about the mistake. But. Uh, but convic- but tell the child, yeah, you know, all of life we make mistakes and then we try again and that's how we improve. So that would be, you know, if for for the parent who's even a little bolder than that, mm-hmm. here's a challenge. I'm leaning in. Here's a challenge. Let your child paint his or her own bedroom. <laughs>
0: Oh, you're right. Oh, my heart pauses on that one.
1: I remember when I was 10 years old, I think I was 10, possibly I was 11. My It par- was the first time my parents let me cha- paint my bedroom. You know, they talked me out of painting it all black with yellow stripes. But cool. other than that, <laughs> I could paint whatever color I wanted. And they didn't interfere, you know. And I paint, and I was so proud of that job. I was so proud of it. i it really, you know. I grew ten feet in confidence oh, as a result it? of paint my own room. Again, this require. What does this require in the part of parents? This requires. You did
0: not freak that, out. <laughs> this
1: requires that you care more about your child developing competence and confidence yep. than you care. About whether that room is perfectly painted. Remember, this is the yeah. child's bedroom. This That's is not true. where you're going to be entertaining guests. Yeah. This is the child's room, and uh, and so I think that I think that parents can learn a lesson. Let not let let's do away with all this perfectionism. Let's just let things go a little bit. Let's let the let 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 my child's paint job stand for itself. And you know this is I'm I'm giving this as an example. There, there's a lot of other possibilities, yeah. but the the things that uh, that I remember as a child feeling like you know uh, this is helping me grow up. Mm-hmm. Where when I could cook for my family and when I could paint my own room. I quickly moved on. You know, my parents took advantage of this. I was, (laughs) I was in a year or two painting all the house. And we moved a lot. And I painted every house we moved into. Not all by myself. My parents helped and my younger brothers as they grew older would help too. But the idea that, I mean, what we often forget is children actually want to do grown-up things.
0: Absolutely.
1: and if we deprive them of doing grown-up things, we're making it harder for them to grow up.
0: Yeah. If, if people want to read your book, you've really stressed that point in the book Free to Learn at the beginning about the hunter and gatherer people and how much their play is just based on doing the grown-up things.
1: Right. Yeah. So, so this is something. These are things... So, you know, what I would hope is that parents who have children home from school think of this as an educational opportunity for their children, not educational deprivation, an opportunity for the kind of education that they're not getting in school. The education in being able to do real-world things, in being able to take initiative... In learning about their family, they're not going to learn about their family at school. They're not going to learn stories about their heritage in school to learn about that. If there's a grandparent around, all the better to learn the stories from the grandparent. You know, this is Absolutely. these are opportunities. Um, yeah.
0: Well, thank you. These are fantastic ideas. Um, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot and we'll see what you come up with this one, Peter. Uh, every episode I end with a self-care idea of some way that you're taking care of yourself or playing or doing something to kind of give parents a job to chill themselves out and relax the perfectionism. Do you have any tips of how you, um, chill out? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, of course, it's been a long time since I've been a parent. To yeah, uh, that's but okay. I have, but I have, um, I I have uh, pretty much all my life, and even more so as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. I spend at least an hour outdoors every day, usually much more than that. Um, uh, sometimes in terrible weather, I don't. But for the, almost mm-hmm. every day, I'm outdoors, winter and summer, spring, fall. I'm out. I go for I go for a bike ride. I go for a long walk in the woods. I do vegetable gardening. I chop my own wood. Um, I engage. These are these are play for me. Okay. These are and it's fresh air. It's exercise. It's uh, helped keep me. I'm 76 years old. It's helped keep me in good physical shape. Um, and it is completely relaxing to my mind. I do some of my best. Thinking when I'm not deliberately thinking about something, <laughs> you know, I'm out there riding my bike, and some idea pops into my mind. Hey, this would be a great thing to write about or to look into research doing, and I, something that would not have come into my mind when I'm focused over my computer, trying to trying to write something or think of the next research project. So, the um, so that's something that I do, and I and I and it's something that I do generally solo. I like yeah. to I like to. Just just be out there myself doing doing these things. I also, because um, my biological father suffered um, from. Um, from arthritis, and I also have arthritis, and I saw how he eventually became crippled from it. I, beginning as soon as I had the first lightest bit of arthritis, beginning 40 years ago, started doing a whole set of exercises in the morning that are designed to keep my joints limber. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and as a consequence of that, I'm not, although I have arthritis and have a certain amount of pain of it, I'm not frozen up. By it the way my father was and the way other people become yeah. as they get old. So I think, I think self-care is really very important. And I think that one has to think about, you know, how, what, is, what, what are the things that I need to do to maintain my own good health, both physical health and mm-hmm. psychological health? And so these are things that I do. <laughs>
0: That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing those. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a guest today. If people want to find you online, Peter, where would they find you?
1: Well, they can uh, they can go to my Psychology Today blog where I write es- essays regularly. I now have something like 180 essays on that blog. This just fr- the blog is called Freedom to Learn. You can easily find it Google Peter Gray Freedom to Learn Psychology Today. Um, I also uh, have a Facebook page with many followers. I re- I post uh, essays on the Facebook page. Um, so those are the probably the best way. Is to find me, and for people who are curious about self-directed yeah. education, of course, uh, I recommend yeah. my book. And thank you for showing <laughs> it. But also, I recommend um, that you take a look at the website for the Alliance yep. for Self-Directed Education. Um, this is an organization, a nonprofit organization. I'm the president of it, and we've been. We've been going for about three years. Uh, there are thousands of people who have joined us, and um, you can find a lot of information there about um, about self-directed education. A lot of information about ways to um, ways to support children's own initiative <laughs> in. And they're learning. Um, and so even if you're not about to do homeschooling or unschooling, mm-hmm. or send your child to a school for self-directed education for I think for any parent, you could find some interesting things there to support what's happening while your children are not in school now and also while your children are in the summer. Maybe you won't feel the need to put your child into all kinds of camps and activities during the summer and maybe allow your child more time to just play and explore and figure things out on his own or her own.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you. This has been fun.
0: Don't forget to go check out the show notes so you can see where to find Peter Gray online. And please continue the conversation with me by joining the Everyday Motherhood Podcast Fans Facebook group. You'll need to know that I run every day to answer the security question. I can't wait to see you there. And remember, you're the right parent for your kids and your kids are the right kids for you. You are truly better together. Thank you for being here, and now go leave a rating and review wherever you listened. In Texas, the three friends, you know they need to hear it. See you next time.